you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, as we continue our study in the Lord's Prayer, and we come to the third petition, which is your will be done. And let's go ahead and begin by reading the Lord's Prayer together. If you have an ESV, you can read it straight out of the text. If not, it's on the front of your bulletin. Uh, A reminder, a public service announcement. I know we're all supposed to be practicing good hygiene with our hands and counting to certain periods, you know, singing songs to make sure we wash our hands long enough. And I've heard it said that saying the Lord's Prayer uh, while you wash your hands is that gets you about the right amount. So it's better than singing happy birthday. Um, Go ahead and wash your hands and say the Lord's Prayer. And the amount of times we're washing our hands, we'll, we'll say the Lord's Prayer a lot during the day. So Let's read the Lord's Prayer together. We're told in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, that Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, is again uh, coupled with those words on earth as it is in heaven. This uh, petition rounds out these first three petitions that call us to reshape our hearts around God's concerns more than our own. Uh, The prayers for God's name to be hallowed, for God's kingdom to come, and for God's will to be done keep us from coming to the Lord first with our own concerns before allowing those current concerns to be shaped by a desire for God's glory in the world. And it would seem that this final prayer, your will be done, is the the culmination of all three of these petitions. Because in it, we we are more clearly submitting ourselves to God and to his desires. We are in these words entrusting ourselves to him, and we're trusting that his will and his ways are best, not only for the world, but for us individually. This prayer is a prayer of faith. We are falling on God in faith, and we're asking that he would do whatever he desires, and that he also would shape our desires into his own. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I'm getting too deep. We should ask right at the beginning, what's meant by God's will? What do we mean by God's will? Nobody here is named Will, right? If you were Will, you would be God's will, I guess, but that's just a bad dad joke of some kind. We'll pretend I didn't say it. Um, The word will might not only make you think about a person, uh, it might make you think about uh, a a will as in someone's last will and testament. Usually we just see this in movies, but people do actually have written wills. And and that kind of gets at what we're talking about here because a written will expresses the the desires that someone has upon their, their death. So when you or I die, if, you have, if we have a, a will, it tells everyone what we would like done with our possessions, etc. what's supposed to happen, what our desires are after death. In general, then, what we see is that someone's will has to do with what they desire and also what they actually do. We speak of, of something happening against our will, meaning that our desire has been violated by someone else. Kids, have your mom and dad ever made you go somewhere that you didn't really want to go? You had to go to the store with them, or maybe you had to go to somewhere like the dentist, and you didn't want to do it, and you went against your will. 
On the flip side, sometimes there's, there's places that we're, that we're willing to go, things that we're willing to do. It means that, that we're okay with what's happening. We're even happy about what's happening. God's will then has to do with what he desires and, and what he does in the world. It has also this idea of a, of a plan and of, of God's purposes in the world. So hearing that, at first blush, we might wonder, why, why would we pray for God's will to be done? We could ask, isn't God's will always done? Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. After seeing the glory of the Lord, Job declares in Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And in Daniel 4, after King Nebuchadnezzar was restored to his right mind, he declared this about God. He said, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? So if God does whatever he pleases, if no purpose of his can be thwarted, and if he does all things according to his will in heaven and on earth, then, then why do we need to pray for God's will to be done? Furthermore, why does Jesus seem to indicate in this petition that God's will is not fully done on earth as it is in heaven? These are deep questions. They take us into the mystery of God's sovereignty. And so I want to admit right now that we're not going to walk out of here understanding all of this. But such is always the case when we delve into the mind of God. The finite cannot expect to fully grasp the infinite, though we are compelled to try and then to embrace the mystery that remains. In reading and discussing these things with others, the best way that I've found to think about them is to say that there are two wills in God what we might call his will of decree and his will of desire. Works out well because they both begin with D, a will of decree and a will of desire. The scriptures we just read speak of God's will of decree, his, his sovereign orchestrating of all things according to his foreknowledge and plan. God ordains and governs all things. And so it is in this way that we can say that God does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, that all that happens in the world is his will. Now, even if I, as I say that, we, we recognize that's not an easy doctrine to hold on to, especially when we see tragedy and death and heartache in our world. And so we affirm that while God is ruling over and controlling all things, he's not the author of evil or of sin. As hard as that can be to comprehend, though, these, these truths are comforting and they are stabilizing to us. They remind us that God is is never wringing his hands with worry, and he's never surprised by what happens in the world like we are. That he's not absent or, or aloof, even when tragedy happens. And we can even trust that he is able to take the evil and the sin of this world, and that he can turn it for his glory and for our good. This divine will of decree is something that we hold on to in prayer, that trusting that, that God is in control, and while it forms the, the background to this specific petition, it's not what we're praying for when we say, your will be done. John Calvin writes this. It's a little thick, but I think it's helpful, so uh, pay close attention. John Calvin says, We are not here treating of that secret will by which he governs all things and destines them to their end. 
For although devils and men rise in tumult against him, he is able by his incomprehensible counsel not only to turn aside their violence, but make it subservient to the execution of his decrees. What we here speak of is another will of God, namely that of which voluntary obedience is the counterpart. And therefore heaven is expressly contrasted with earth because as is said in the Psalms, the angels do his commandments hearkening unto the voice of his word, Psalm 103.20. We are therefore enjoined to pray that as everything done in heaven is at the command of God and the angels are calmly disposed to do all that is right, so the earth may be brought under his authority, all rebellion and depravity having been extinguished. The, the other will of God that we're praying for is God's will of desire or we might even call it his revealed will, the, the desires that God has for us and for this world that have been made known to us in the scriptures and in his son. Much of what, the, of, of what God desires has been written down. It's been, it's been written down for us in the scriptures. We know what God's will is because he tells us what he desires, or it's made clear by the gospel message. Bringing these these two wills together, we might think of, of our current reality. We might think about this coronavirus pandemic and all its results. Is this the will of God? Is this the will of God given all of the, the suffering and the death and the loss that have come along with it? If we're talking about God's will of decree, then we can say yes. Yes, it is. Without being the author of evil, God ordained and orchestrated all that is happening in this world, including COVID-19. But is this what God's desire, what God desires for his people? Is this his will in, in that sense of his will of desire? I think we can say no. That, that God has created us to know his blessing, to know life and health and goodness. But the, the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world and our own hearts means that God's will of desire is not always fulfilled in this world. We're told in 2 Peter 3, 9 that, that the Lord does not desire that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And yet that's not what happens in the world, even if that's what God longs for. For we who are his children, that's what we long for. We long for all of God's good will revealed in his word to be true in us and to be true in this world. His will, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, is our sanctification. And we long and we pray for that. His will that, that is that we give thanks in all circumstances, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.8. And we also long and pray for that. All, all of the goodness of his ways and, and his laws and his commands, what, what he wills and desires for us, we want to see those things obeyed and practiced in our world. As we saw last week, we're praying for God's kingdom rule to come. And as we pray for God's kingdom to spring up in pockets in our world and in our church and in us, so too we're, we're praying that God's will would be done in our world, in our church, and in us individually. His will of desire is not always what happens in this world. But we are asking that it would happen more and more. That it would happen more and more in this already present age as we wait for the not yet future of Christ's return. And so the Westminster Catechism is again instructive. It's in your bulletin if you want to look at it. Question 103, what do we pray for in the third petition? The answer in the third petition, which is thy will be done as it is in heaven, we pray 
that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. The angels performed the Lord's will with perfect obedience. And so too, we long for that kind of obedience. We're asking that God's clearly revealed will in the scriptures would be lived out in us and in our world. We're praying that, that our sinful will, that our, our sinful desires would be suppressed and that we would instead live in obedience and submission to the Father. Do you know the phrase battle of wills? A battle of wills. A battle of wills occurs when, when two people refuse to, to change their desires and instead seek to, to wait for the other person to just sort of weaken and, and give in. If you have a brother or a sister, you've experienced a battle of wills. Sometimes a brothers and sisters, it happens when they, they want what they want and they want it so bad that they will not get it in order to make the other person not get it. A battle of wills, they happen between parents and children, between friends deciding on where to go out to eat, between co-workers figuring out how to move forward with the big project. And the way a battle of wills could be ended is in some sort of compromise, or it could be that one person finally gives in and just allows the other person to get whatever they want. When we come to God in prayer, there is to one degree or another a battle of wills that is happening. We come with what we desire and with what we think is best. We come with our will. But we also come, especially here in this third petition, with the desire to submit our will to God's if they are not in line. We come willing to lay aside our will and to trust his. And when we do that, our hope is actually not for a compromise. Our hope is that we would lay our will aside and that we would submit to God's will and let him rule over us. We don't easily do that in life. We don't easily hand over ourselves to, to the will of another person because we don't trust many people. Who, who do you trust fully in your life? Who would you say to them, you would look at them and you would say, your will be done. Do whatever you want. You trust them enough to say that. When we pray, your will be done, we are saying that we are fully entrusting ourselves to God. We are laying down our wills and completely believing that what he desires is best. Even if what he desires is the opposite of what we desire or what we think is best. In this prayer, we are saying that we will embrace and we will even welcome whatever God puts in front of us, whatever he desires for us. I think this can be where... where God's will gets even more confusing, where this line between his will of decree and his will of desire is a bit blurred. For instance, we saw in 1 Thessalonians that God's will of desire is our sanctification, our holiness. But we also know from the scriptures that that, that kind of character often only comes through difficulty and pain and suffering. And so we come to the place of saying that God's will of decree brings suffering into our lives so that his will of desire, our sanctification, might come about. That's hard to understand. It's difficult to, to grasp. It forces us, though, into a place of deep trust in God. And I think the best place to see this, the mystery of these wills converging 
is in the Garden of Gethsemane where we, he, where we hear Jesus pray this prayer. It's the one petition from the Lord's Prayer that we hear on the, the lips of Jesus very clearly. There Jesus wrestled with his coming crucifixion, knowing that it was the, the way of salvation ordained before the foundations of the world, knowing that it was the will of the Father. Isaiah 53.10 can hardly be misunderstood. It says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus knew this, but he also knew the, the darkness that was coming on him, not only in, his, in the physical pain he would face, but in the fact that, that he was going to die alone apart from the Father, that he would bear the sins of the world and the just judgment for them. And in light of this, before Jesus says, your will be done, what does he say? He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Th this part of Jesus' prayer, I think, helps us to see that unstated in the Lord's Prayer is the fact that praying for God's will to be done is often preceded by a protest against God's will, by a, by a frustration with what he's doing and a confusion about his plans. Throughout the Psalms, we, we read of that confusion and the heartache of those walking through betrayal and violence and suffering of all kinds. And through those prayers in the Psalms and through Jesus' prayer, we're instructed to voice these heart cries to the Lord, knowing that it's, it's often only after an honest expression of our frustration and our anger and our confusion, it's only after that that we can then say, let your will be done. Let me say, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of giving voice to your confusion in prayer, to your frustration and your fear and your anger and the like. Jesus is a, a great high priest who sympathizes with us and with our struggles. And it may be that only after we have faced what's happening in our hearts and our minds that we can actually truly say, your will be done. It's only after Jesus has pled with the Father, asking that if there's any other way than the cross, that he submits his will to the Father. And then God's will is, is carried out as Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. Peter describes the mystery on the day of Pentecost, says to the crowd, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so God ordains and orchestrates the death of his son, for the salvation of his children, but it's the wicked hands and evil will of men that bring it about. The crucifixion of Jesus was God's will. We can even say it was his will of desire because he was bringing the greatest good out of the greatest evil, namely that, that all who would repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus can be saved from the eternal wrath of God. The garden and the cross take us, I think, into the deepest mysteries of the will of God. But they also give us the greatest reason to entrust our lives and our souls to the Father. They reveal the way that God brings good even out of suffering and evil. And they reveal the, the love of the Father who willingly sent his Son to redeem us and to make us his own. This is a Father that we can fully trust 
we can joyfully and with confidence, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what God is going to do, we can say, your will be done. And we may even get to the, the place of having the mind of Christ who endured the cross because he knew the joy that was coming from it and through it. Thinking practically how we pray this prayer, I think that as we have said in previous weeks, the same things apply. We pray it in the tension of the already and the not yet of the kingdom, asking for God's will to happen in pockets of our world, but also praying for the day when God's will of decree and his will of desire perfectly merge in the new kingdom. We also pray this prayer for our world, for our church, for ourselves. But in light of the, the mystery of God's will and the example of Jesus, let me mention just briefly three situations of mind and heart in which I think this prayer, your will be done, is particularly helpful. And we'll close with this. So three situations where this prayer is particularly helpful. Number one, this is a prayer that we pray in the midst of temptation and rebellion. In the midst of temptation and rebellion. Our flesh, our sinful will, our desire for ease and comfort, for immediate pleasure is often the will that we want done in our lives. And often that will sets itself against God's will revealed in the scriptures. We want to do what we want to do, even if we know it's not what God wants us to do. And when we feel that pull, this is a helpful prayer. We can pray in that moment, Lord, let your will be done in me as it is in heaven. Father, by your spirit, make me like the angels who always do what you ask, who exist only for your joy and for your purposes and for your glory. Such a prayer may serve to get us out of our heads, to get us away from the place where we're selfishly concerned only with what we want into a place of seeing that we're part of God's greater plan for good in this world, that we can walk in his ways. We might pray this prayer for others as well, that obedience to God's ways and will would fill our world, that our brothers and sisters in Christ would long for the will of God more than their own will or the will of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we pray this in the midst of temptation and rebellion. We also pray this prayer in the midst of confusion and uncertainty. We pray your will be done in the midst of confusion and uncertainty. By God's grace, our desires are not always rooted in a desire to rebel against his will. As his children, we, we often truly desire to walk in God's ways. We, we want to submit to his will and see it done in us and in our world. But sometimes we just don't know what his will is. It's not clear in the scriptures or, or it's specifically related to part of our own personal journey. We, we want to know. We, we want to know, as it's often stated, God's will for our lives. Decisions need to be made and, and, and often major changes are coming in our lives and we want to do what God wants us to do, but we're confused and we're uncertain. And so we come to the Lord and we lay out our desires or our confusion or the conflict that's in our own heart about what to do or where to go or whatever it might be. And wrestling with them before the Lord, we say, Father, your will be done. I, I want all of these things that I've mentioned, but more than anything else, I want your will to be done in me. I want your will to be done in my church, in my business, in my neighborhood. Make that clear to me, God, and then help me to walk in it. Lord, your will be done. You know my heart. Make it clear to me. What a helpful prayer to pray. But we pray this prayer in the midst of temptation and rebellion, in the midst of confusion and uncertainty, 
And finally, we pray it in the midst of pain and suffering. I think this is what Gethsemane teaches us, isn't it? This is a prayer for pain and suffering. Whether our own pain and suffering or those we love, whatever it is, we, we don't want that. We don't will for it. We, we don't want suffering and pain and death in our lives or in those we love. And so we pray against them. We pray against them knowing that, that God's will of desire is for life and blessing and peace and joy. We pray bold prayers that God would bring healing and, and life and joy. But we pray for that will of desire in the reality of the, the already not yet of the world that we live in, that the kingdom is here and therefore God's will of desire happens. But we also know that as heaven is not here on earth fully, God's will is not fully done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we take all of the mystery that's found at the heart of pain and suffering in this world, and we say with Jesus, your will be done. Even when we don't know what that will is, even when we're, we're just confused and frustrated and in despair and in pain, in the midst of physical pain, when we long for relief, we say your will be done in the midst of emotional trauma, in the midst of financial difficulty, in the midst of, of fear, in, in the darkest days, we ask that God's will would be done. Brothers and sisters, that's not a cop-out prayer. I think sometimes we think that your will be done, and we can pray it that way sometimes, right? Your will be done, Lord. That, that's not what this prayer is. Rather, it's, it's a confession of our limited knowledge. And it's an expression of our trust in the Father who is in heaven. It's, it's a way to be a living sacrifice, I think. We're, we're offering up our dreams, our desires, our will, even our lives. We're offering them up on the altar. We're giving our lives fully into the service of God. And saying, Lord, your will be done with me. You do whatever you want with me and with my life. That's not an easy prayer to pray. I think your will be done is often prayed through tears. And that may be when it's most powerful. When we've, when we've fully recognized what we're saying. When we've, we've weighed all the options and we just don't know. And, and then we feel the suffering and the pain and we say, God, even if it's more of this, your will be done. It may be one of the most powerful prayers that, that we can offer to God. And so I invite you to pray this prayer and maybe pray it until you mean it. Pray it until you understand it and feel it. As we round out this first half of the Lord's Prayer, let me read John Stott. It's got a nice summary application of these first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer that I think is helpful. He writes, it's comparatively easy to repeat the words of the Lord's Prayer like a parrot, or indeed a heathen babbler. To pray them with sincerity, however, has revolutionary implications, for it expresses the priorities of a Christian. We are constantly under pressure to conform to the self-centeredness of secular culture. When that happens, we become concerned about our own little name, about our own little empire, and about our own silly will. But in the Christian counterculture, our top priority concern is not our name, kingdom, and will, 
but God's. Whether we can pray these petitions with integrity is a searching test of the reality and depth of our Christian profession. And might I add that it is not only a test, but this prayer and these first three petitions are a means of grace that make our faith more real and deeper and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Jesus, who perfectly walked in the will of the Father all the way to death. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we are often more concerned about our own silly will than yours. It's so easy to get into our own heads and our own minds and think that what we want is what's most important and that what we want is always what you want and that what we want is always what's best. So Lord, we submit to you who are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, good, wise, and we say, Lord, your will be done. We confess, Lord, we don't often understand it. Sometimes we don't want it. But Lord, when we see Christ and we understand what he has done on our behalf, Lord, that's, we turn and we say, no, this is, this is right, Lord. Your will is always best. Your will is greater than ours. And so Lord, teach us how to pray this way. Teach us how to cry and to pray this way. Teach us how to walk away from a prayer like this with a smile, knowing, Lord, that you are good and that if you can be glorified, you can be lifted up, then that's our greatest desire. Lord, make us people that love you and love your ways more than our own. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.